Thank you, worship team. Bless you, kids. Two, two items of um, interest for you. One is that immediately following this service over here in this side of the room is uh, the second week, week two of the class that we started last Sunday called uh, Discerning the Voice of God. Last Sunday was really great. It was really cool. Some of you guys have really had some very profound encounters with God, and it was just so encouraging to hear your stories last Sunday. And um, so week two, we're, it's after the service here. If you didn't sign up, just stay. We'd love to have you stay. And um, it's only about an hour or so long because we have, uh, you know, we rent our building on Sunday afternoons. There's another church that uses our building, and so they come in about 1 o'clock. So we've got even less time this Sunday than we did last Sunday now with two services. But, and then the other one is that tonight is our core meeting, and if you're involved in any way, shape, or form, if you're passing out bulletins, praying with people, Sunday, you know, Grow Zone teacher, life group leader, whatever your, whatever your role is, you're invited tonight to one of our four basics is to equip leaders. So the purpose of Sunday morning, like now, is enjoying Jesus, and we just revel in him together. We also want to equip leaders who can lead well and effectively, and our desire is to build up and send out servants in the kingdom of God. And so the purpose of the core meetings is to do that. I'm excited because I just started taking a, a seminary class online, and I'm, it's kind of fun. You, you, know, you learn stuff, and then you can share stuff. So tonight I'm going to share some stuff that I've been learning in my seminary class, and it's neat. We, he did this great. It's, tonight we're going to look at three different personality types and, and those, how they relate to leadership. And uh, that's all I'm going to tell you. So you have to come, 6 o'clock. There's dinner provided. It's a good time, good evening together. If you would, turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. We're going to read those in a minute. This morning, I have a really difficult topic to talk about. Thanks, Dave. Was that really bothering you? It must have been bothering him. Little OCD there. Little, um, thank you. Thanks, Mom. I just, I love you guys. I really do. So we're going to talk. It's got a difficult topic this morning to talk about. Um, we want to talk about brokenness. Some of us, when we get saved, we, we get saved from our badness, but others of us need to get saved from our goodness. What I, what I mean by that is there's some, a lot of folks like me. I, I grew up in a, in a wonderful Christian home. I, uh, I don't ever remember a day in my life where God wasn't a part of my life. And I'm not saying that to say that um, I've always been a Christian. That's not the truth. I... I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was 15 years old. I was born dead, according to Ephesians chapter 2. You know, there, God doesn't have grandkids. He only has kids, right? So every one of us needs to make a decision to trust Jesus as our Savior. But my mom and dad walked with God, and I, I grew up in a Christian home. And so in, by that, I mean I, I really never remember a day in my life when God was not just a part of the life, which I'm thankful for that.
but it's easy to think that, well, and I think it's, and it's subconscious. It's easy to think that somehow I'm doing God a favor by trusting in him as my savior. Or to think that, well, yeah, I asked Jesus to take my sins away and to make me his savior, but the truth is I was already a pretty good person. So somehow Jesus just kind of comes in there and just does a little bit of an improvement on the way I was, but I fail to, I fail to remember that I was dead and that he actually brought me back from the dead. I, I needed a savior. I was a good Christian kid, but I was still on my way to hell. I needed a savior. And I think sometimes, well, I'll just put it out there. I, I, believe that, I believe that God does have big things in store for the church in central Connecticut. I think that God really is on the move here, that revival really is coming. I, I, though, I also believe that part of what has to happen in order for that is to, to become a reality is we have to be broken. That it can't be about our program, it can't be about our thing, our doctrine, our, um, our strengths, our abilities. We have to let go of that. I have to come to the place where, uh, where Jesus is the only thing I've got. Jesus is the only thing we've got. He's, he's, the best, he's the best thing we've got to offer to the world. I don't have anything else to offer to the world. I don't have a slick program. I don't have that. You know, somebody comes to us uh, addicted, addicted like crazy to whatever, alcohol or drug or whatever it is. You know, it's not our program that helps them. We got, we got nothing. The only thing we got is Jesus. That's it. And, uh, and I can say that mentally, but I don't know that I always own that in my heart. And that's what brokenness is about. So this is a difficult message, but I think it's a necessary one. And we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and you come to, I want to just look at two guys this morning briefly. First Paul and then Peter, both of whom were really good guys. If you had Peter or Paul in, in our churches nowadays, they would be completely acceptable before Jesus, before they were, I mean, they were good men. Peter might have had some fish guts under his nails. He might have stunk a little bit, but he was a good guy. You understand? A religious guy, a faithful Jewish guy. Peter was, I mean, Paul was definitely off the charts good religious guy. You know, I mean, he was accepted in every religious, every Jewish synagogue around. I mean, he would have been just, whoo, Paul was the best. But both of these men had to experience brokenness in order to really be what God wanted them to be. And that's really hard to grasp, isn't it, for you and me? Is it possible that God wants to break you? I believe that he does. And so on one hand, that's terrifying. Because I think, God, what do you have to do to do that? I hope it doesn't hurt too bad. But I kind of think it does hurt. So we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and the Apostle Paul, he's got this illness, this, this thing, that, this physical ailment. And 
He calls it a thorn in the flesh. He calls it a messenger from Satan. I mean, he, he obviously doesn't like it. <laughs> and verse 8, Paul says, I three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Take it away from me. Take it away from me, God. Verse 9, but he said to me, well, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So then Paul, this is his response. So uh, those words are God speaking to Paul. We've been talking about hearing God. And so we shouldn't be surprised at that. Paul had a question, God answered it. It's how you do, how, you, how a relationship works. Paul asked this question. God said, Paul, here's the answer for you, my friend. So Paul's conclusion, his response to that word from God, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Isn't that interesting? I want Christ's power to rest on me so I will boast gladly about my weaknesses. So perhaps the key to experiencing the power of Christ at work in my life is to not be dependent upon all of my strengths, but instead to actually recognize my weaknesses. And then he says, that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong, he says. My power, God tells Paul, my, pa my power, God's power, is perfected in your weakness. Now that sounds like something strange, doesn't it? Because you say, God, you're powerful. So how can God's power really be perfected? Isn't God's power already perfect? He's God. How does that work? The word perfect is a, is a word with a lot of nuances to it. And the, the word that Paul would have used there in the Greek is the word telos. It's the word that we get our word telescope from. And if you think telescope, think the old pirate telescope. The one, that, the kind that, that, uh, that unfolds out. And as it, as it unfolds out, you can see further and get more clarity as it unfolds out. God's power becomes perfected in my weakness. In other words, as I let go of my own strengths and my own weakness, you know, each time, a, each time I let go of a strength, God's power becomes more evident, more and more evident in my life. The most powerful moments of your life and mine are kind of when we're not even knowing we're being powerful. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes, so I've been preaching for a long time, and there's some Sundays I preach a sermon and I think, man, I hit that out of the park, baby. That was a home run. Those, those illustrations, right on. Points, well alliterated. People were crying. It was awesome. Those are the Sundays usually that nothing happens spiritually. And then there's other times where I've given messages and I've walked away going, oh, I can't believe it. And I'm embarrassed to be human. And I think, God, oh, there's no way. That's awful. 
And those are the Sundays it seems God used, God worked the most. <laughs> Have you noticed the same thing in your life? Or somebody comes and says to you, hey, that thing you said six months ago, that really changed my life. And you go, I can't remember that thing I said. And so it's just, there's this dynamic at work in the Christian life where it's almost like I'm more powerful the less aware I am of it. It's when I just get out of the way and let God do his thing, it's amazing what happens. And so Paul had to come to this conclusion where he says, well, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. I'm not strong when I'm thinking I'm strong. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. John the Baptist said something similar. He said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. That's what brokenness is all about. Brokenness is not about you and me faking it somehow, faking humility, walking around flagellating our backs like the ancient desert fathers. You know, woe is me, I'm just a terrible sinner. That's not brokenness. Actually, that's pride, because that makes it about you. Brokenness is this weird kind of thing where you're completely unaware of you. That's the whole point of brokenness. It's when I die to myself and I get out of the way so God can have his way. So in the Bible, whenever God met someone in a powerful way, they built an altar. Have you ever noticed that? Abraham has this powerful experience with God, so he built an altar. And then Jacob, he had that dream thing with the angels up and down on the steps. And what did he do? He built an altar. Thanks, Rich. Not a tr good to have you back. Not a trick question, right? He built an altar. And then, uh, and then Isaac, he met with God. God, he did what? He built an altar. And uh, Israel crossed over the Jordan River. What did they do? They built an altar. And David met with God and stopped the terrible plague. And what did he do? He, he built an altar. That's just every time they had an encounter with God, they built an altar. But what's ironic about that is that an altar not only represents where we encounter God, but every time they built an altar, an animal had to die. So the altar represents a place of death and encounter. You see, there's no genuine encounter with God without death to ourself. I'm convinced that a genuine encounter with God does not produce pride. It actually produces humility. If somebody comes out of their encounter with God prideful, they didn't encounter God. Because you cannot, you cannot come face to face with the Almighty and walk away thinking you're hot stuff. You just can't. It's impossible. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we're told that we are to make our lives a living sacrifice. You understand a sacrifice, a sacrifice was either dead or about to be dead. And so we're told to make ourselves a living sacrifice sacrifice. That's a really odd use of words. So I'm alive, but I'm dead. I'm, I'm, I'm alive, but I'm a sacrifice. I'm continually, I'm continually giving up my rights to myself is what that means. 
I'm intentionally letting go of my little show in favor of God. To have Jesus as your Savior, it costs you nothing because Jesus paid for it all on the cross. But to have Jesus as your Lord will cost you everything because he demands all. The kingdom of God that you and I are a part of is a selfless kingdom, isn't it? It it was founded on a cross, and it's carried by people who carry their crosses. The kingdom of God doesn't exist for itself. We're really the only entity on the planet who doesn't exist for its own benefit. We're here literally for the world. One of the trademark qualities of God, I've been thinking about his humility lately, and one of the things that just amazes me about God is is his refusal to use force to get his own way. If there was ever someone who could use force to get his own way, I mean, it's easy. It wouldn't even take him much. And he could have his own way any time he wanted. And yet he refuses to do that, doesn't he? Instead, he dies. Crazy. (laughs) And he calls you and me to do the same. Isaiah 57, verse 15, God says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. God lives in a high and holy, we get that part, but also I live in one who's contrite and lowly in spirit. The Holy Spirit of God lives in broken hearts, not proud ones. So if you want to experience the power of the resurrection, I've got to be willing to die to myself. To illustrate this, there's nobody in the Bible that illustrates it better, I think, than Peter. Because Peter was a guy, fast talker, brash, bold, Strong, strong personality. You, he, Peter walked into the room. Everybody knew he walked in. Everybody knew Peter was there. He, was, he just was one of those guys who carried a presence with him that everybody noticed. Peter, strong man. And at the Last Supper, Jesus delivers some very unpleasant news to Peter. In Luke chapter 22, if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke 22... We're going to stay there for a little while. Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter this. Simon, Simon, in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Now, why would Jesus call Peter Simon? Simon was Peter's original name. Peter was the nickname that Jesus gave to him. And it's interesting Because the word Simon, the name Simon, it means shifting sand. And the name Peter means rock. So when Jesus met Simon for the first time, Jesus said, you know, I don't, you're not shifting sand. You're you're more, you're a rock. And that was the name that Jesus gave to him, and it stuck, Peter the rock. But here, notice what Jesus calls him. Um, shifting sand, shifting sand. I wonder why he does that, because Jesus knows what's coming. Hey, Peter, you're not the rock tonight, buddy. 
Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. You know, if, if I'm going to be sifted by Satan, it's nice to know that Jesus is praying for me. But I have a better question. If Jesus knows that Satan's coming, why doesn't he stop him? Because <laughs> that would really be great. Stop the bus now. Why didn't he? Huh? Peter, sifted like wheat. Why? I think Peter was the man with all the answers. Peter was the guy that walked on water. He's the guy that received the revelation that Jesus actually was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He saw that. He was the obvious leader. Peter was obviously the big man. And he didn't know that in order for him to be used powerfully, he needed to be broken. Peter had to get broken. I don't think that God delights in breaking us except that he does see the joy of where it leads. But we would say that Peter was anointed by God to lead. And we love that word anointing. We do. We think it's great. Give me the anointing, Lord. I know people that ask for like a double portion of Elijah's anointing. Oh, give me the double portion. We love all the anointing, except do you realize what the word anoint literally means. The word anoint literally means to crush. You know that the term anointing oil is kind of a play on words because we use anointing oil when we pray for people to be healed. We anoint them with oil. And the anointing oil is made out of olives. It's olive oil. In order to get an olive oil, you have to crush olives. And that's very ironic because an olive has to be crushed in order to bring healing to one who's crushed. So we go, God, give me the anointing. Oh, yeah, the anointing. Woo-woo-woo. Okay. You ready? The oil of the Holy Spirit doesn't anoint a person without crushing the person. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 24, he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So do you want to be effective? Do you wish to really succeed? Then die. As long as I refuse to die to myself, as long as I hold control, I stay a single seed. And I can be a nice seed. It's great. want impact, if I want to be used mightily by God, I need to die. The less of me there is, the more impact I can have. So Jesus says to Peter, okay, Pete, here's the plan. <clears throat> the devil is going to sift you like wheat. I can only imagine the look on Peter's face as Jesus spoke those words. I think it would be sheer terror. Jesus goes, but don't worry, I'm praying for you. And when you're all done, Peter, when the shifting is over, Peter, you're going to return with strength, not just for yourself, but for your brothers. Isn't that interesting? As long as Peter was Peter, he had enough strength for himself. Break the man, 
Fill the man with the power of God, and he can return and strengthen everybody else. And that's why he's doing it. He says, your life is about to get shook, Pete. You're about to get drained of your own strength. It's amazing. Brokenness is the secret to strength. And being broken, I'm made whole. That's amazing. <sighs> God uses buckets with holes in them. Who, who knew? <laughs> I think my bucket has to all be healed. I think it all has to have no holes so that I can have it all together. And God's like, yeah, I'd like a few holes in that bucket. And he put a few holes in Peter's. Look what happened next. Luke chapter 22, verse 33, Jesus speaks to him there. And then Peter replies, Lord, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. <laughs> Peter boldly declares that he's ready to die with Jesus, even if that's what he has to. <laughs> Jesus says this, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. Now, Luke doesn't give us the whole conversation. If you compare this passage with the others in Matthew, Mark, and John, you get kind of the rest of the conversation. And so Peter actually, according to Mark chapter 14, verse 29, Peter has a response to this. Jesus says, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me? Here's Peter's response. He doubles down. Even if all fall away, I will not fall away, Jesus. Oh, boy. Mark 14, 31 tells us that Peter was speaking emphatically. That's what verse 31 says. Who, who can tell me what does emphatically mean? Come on, spit it out. He means it, doesn't he? He's speaking emphatically. This is no light commitment on Peter's part. Peter is selling out for Jesus, man. He's laying it all on the line right there at dinner. He's emphatic about his commitment to Jesus. I'll, other people might deny you, Jesus, but never. I'm your man, Jesus, right here. All right. Here comes the bus. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Dinner's over now. Jesus gets arrested now. The disciples all flee now. And in verse 54 of Luke 22, it says that Jesus was seized, and look at that, Peter followed at a distance. Hey, that's the first sign you've gone off track. If you're following Jesus at a distance, you're doing it in your own strength. Because I follow Jesus at a distance, that puts a safe distance between me and Jesus. I'm following, but I've got a little bit of room for just in case something bad goes down and I can get out quick. And then, verse 56, look at what Luke twenty-two fifty-six 56 says. A servant girl... Don't overlook that. Wait a second. Moments ago, other people will deny you, Jesus. Not me! And now, who's the first one to bring down the mighty Peter? 
a little girl. <laughs> yeah, oh, big man, Peter. Big man, Peter. Sure. A little girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know. Luke 22, verse 58, a little while later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. Verse 59, about an hour later, so this is not a lot of time that's gone past. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I like one of, the other, uh, one of the other gospels says that Peter actually swore when he said that. I don't know what cuss word he said, but it was a cuss word. And he, I don't know the man. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine the look on Jesus' face? I don't think that Jesus, I don't know how you picture it. I picture Jesus looking at him with compassion. I don't think that Jesus looked at him with judgment or, or with disappointment because Jesus knew it was coming. I think that Jesus looked at Peter with compassion. I don't think that Jesus takes joy out of you and me being broken. I really don't. I, it, he knows it's necessary, but it's, it's not fun for him. I think he looked at Peter with compassion. Peter caught his eyes, and then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. Peter, emphatically declaring, everyone else might abandon you, Jesus, but I never will, caves to the pressure of a little slave girl. Peter, taking a stand for Jesus. What a joke. Verse 62 says that as the moment that he recognized what he had done, he went outside and he wept bitterly. That, my friend, is a broken man. When the breaking happens, when the crushing comes, we find ourselves left with nothing. I just caved into a little girl. I got nothing. I thought I was the strong man. I thought I was the talented guy, the leader. I got, no what is this? I got nothing. My boasting, my promises are empty. I come to the end of me. That's it. That is where God can fill you. Right there at the end of you. That's where you begin to really live. Amazing. We've said it before. Following Jesus is killing me. And I've never been better. I got nothing, but I've never had more. I'm at my weakest, but I've never been stronger. I've lost everything, yet suddenly I have everything. How will I ever know that Jesus is my only hope? until I find myself in a place where he really is my only hope. Peter became empty, he became broken, and then he had breakfast with Jesus on a beach. 
And I won't read this for the sake of time, but you could look it up, John 21. I put it there for you. So you could look it up, John 21, verses 15 to 19. This takes place now several days, a period of time after Jesus. He's died, risen again. Peter, in his uh, really broken place, Peter just goes and does what's comfortable for him. He goes fishing. That's what he did. He was a fisherman, so he uh, went back to what was comfortable. And there he is with the other guys on the boat in the water, and Jesus makes breakfast for him on the beach. And it's early in the morning, still kind of twilight, maybe a little misty, can't see too clear. They didn't even really know it was Jesus at first, and finally they discovered it was Jesus. And and one thing leads to another, and, and Peter finds himself face-to-face with Jesus on the beach, and Jesus asks Peter these three questions. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, well, yeah, Lord. Yeah, Peter, do you love me? Second time. Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Third time, Peter, do you love me? And that's when the Bible tells us that Peter broke again. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know, you know that I love you. The emotion of that passage is, comes out more clearly when you actually see the Greek that it was written in. It, it, it was written in, John wrote it in ancient Greek. We translate the word love, it's just, do you love me three times? But in Greek, they had different words for love. And so the first two times, Jesus uses the word agape, and the third time, he uses the word phileo. Agape means, agape is the highest form of love. It's God's kind of love. It's the, it's the best kind of love, the purest form of love. Phileo is brotherly love. We know the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Phileo is brotherly love. It's, it's a friendship love. And so Jesus, the first two times, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I, I, I love you. Yeah, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Second time. Yeah, yeah Lord, I, I, I love you. Hey, Peter, you even like me? Sometimes um, liking somebody is like more powerful than loving them because I have to love you. I don't always have to like you. We even say that. But if I like you, it means I actually enjoy you. I dig you. I'm into you. I think you're great. I, you know. Peter, do you, I mean, do you even like me, Peter? You see, Jesus has preachers and leaders and teachers and singers and authors and conference speakers and pastors and evangelists and prophets. I don't think he has very many friends. They say it's lonely at the top. Never been there, so I don't know. <laughs> God's about as far at the top as he can get. I'm <laughs> thinking it must be lonely up there. Who, who, who is his friend? Who? Who would say, I actually just enjoy God? Because that's just, just, I just do. He just is, I just think he's cool. Jesus says, Peter, you be my friend. Why do we like being popular with people more than we like being friends with God? 
I think the answer is because I don't have to be broken to be a great preacher. And I don't have to be broken to be a great whatever. But if I want to be intimate with God, if I want to go deep with God, I've got to come to the end of me. I've got to die to myself. The deeper I go with God, the less of me I can take with me. Forsaking all others, I've, I've turned my back on them. I'm going after you. I've decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me, I'm, that's it. But it's also when I'm intimate with God, that's when I'm most alive. As the Apostle Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I, that, those words give me hope because Paul's speaking that as a testimony. He's not saying that's something that's, that's a goal for him. He's saying, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is how I live. So if Paul was able to experience that, certainly you and I could. I'm finished. This is what Peter discovered. Hmm. So the unbroken Peter, I'm with you, Jesus. Got it. Everybody else is going to fail you. Never me. I got it under control, Jesus. And then the bus. And then you want to know how the broken Peter talked afterwards? We see it a bunch of different ways. But 1 Peter, I just, just one verse. 1 Peter chapter um, 5, verse 10. Peter, this is now years later. Okay, Years, years have gone by. And Peter's talking to a group of Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. They are going through the ringer. And here's Peter's words to them. Peter says, the God of all, of all grace, the God of all grace will himself make you strong. Do you hear the difference? The unbroken Peter, you know, who, you know what the unbroken Peter would have told these people? If he'd have been unbroken, he would have said, hey, listen, you guys, suck it up, buttercup. You can do this. Come on, everybody. We got this now. You can do it. <laughs> chop, chop, everyone. Hey, here's three steps to overcoming. Read my book. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. That's what, Pe that's what the unbroken Peter would have done. But the broken Peter, you guys, God, he's, got the, he, he's a God of grace, and, and he'll be able to strengthen you and I know what you're going through really stinks right now. Man, I've been there. It hurts. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. And he will strengthen you. He will, he will get you through. So let's put these together. If you, my next slide, I've got the unbroken Peter versus the broken Peter. The unbroken Peter, he, he elevated himself. Others, look at how, see how he does that? Others might fail you. Jesus, everybody else is a jerk, but not me. Not me, Jesus. I'm in it. I got it. Elevated himself. The broken Peter, all the glory goes to God. God's got this. The unbroken Peter, he enlisted himself. Jesus, I'm your man. Right here. Sign me up. Where you guys? I'm, I'm here, Lord, for you. The broken Peter, well, it's God's call. It's what he's doing. And we're just along for the ride. The unbroken Peter, he empowered himself. You notice? I, 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 
I. It's all Peter. But the broken Peter, God's got this. It's God's strength. You can do this. Boyfriends, can I just say it again? We, we need brokenness. And brokenness is not about you and me being falsely humble and walking around like somehow we're really sad because I'm broken. Brokenness is an acknowledgement that I bring nothing to the table. Brokenness is an acknowledgement that if God doesn't do this, it's not going to work. That's what brokenness is. It recognizes it's not my goodness. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, ha- I don't have anything to give. But Jesus does. And so we're going to cry out to him, and we're going to lean on him. We're going to trust in him because he's, he's actually got this. I don't have this. And I believe as a church, as a church, we, don't, we can't trust in our programs. We, we can't trust in our, our stuff. We can't trust in our, in our building and our budget. And it, it, we just can't. We, we, we've got to come to this place where if Jesus doesn't do it, it's just not going to happen. And, it's, and we're going to look foolish if he doesn't do it. And I wonder if sometimes Jesus allows us to look foolish for us to get broken. Maybe that's the reason why sometimes we get left hanging. I don't know. Maybe it is. But I know that Let's pray. God, I'm really sorry for making it the Doug Rouse show. there's please Lord would you well would you break us God because Lord we don't want to just do the religious thing and we don't want to just do the nice thing desire, God, to know you intimately. I 
guess I don't know what to do right now, my friends. I would just ask you to, if your head's bowed, for you to, for you to respond to this word this morning with the faith that you have. Are you ready to let him have control? Let him have control. So God, I know that you've made us, I know God that you've given us talent, you've given us abilities, you've given us gifts, you've given us resources, Lord, you have. And we're so thankful for all of those things that you've given to us, God. Teach us, Lord, how to, I guess, how to, how to give those, those things to you that you would use them and that they wouldn't be used in our own strength, but Lord, that, that it would be you at work in them. Teach us how to do that, Jesus. Because our desire, Lord, is that you would be seen in and through us in this place, in this region. Because, Lord, our world needs to see you, Jesus. They don't need to see nice religious people. They need to see you. And it's our desire, Jesus, for you to be seen in this region, in this place where we live, Lord. And so... So that's our prayer. You, you increase and we decrease. You increase, we decrease, Jesus. Friends, would you pray that out loud with me as well? Just say, you increase, Jesus, we decrease. You increase and we'll decrease. More of you, Jesus, less of us. That's our cry. <laughs>